serve an awesome God. Um, it, it literally blows me away each week um, how God gives them songs, and God gives me, or Seth, or Zane, gives us the message, and how God just really puts them all together. And um, we don't go in some war room with a whiteboard and plan it all out. Maybe we should, I don't know, but we just really feel that the MO, the the um, DNA of Driftwood is that we pray and we help each other see life from God's perspective. And, and, and I beg God for the message. We are preaching through the book of Hebrews, but man, I want to be able to present it in a way that is relevant, that you are supposed to hear it, a way that God wants you to hear it so he can take it and pierce your hearts with it and do what he wants with all of that. And so it amazes me all the time of how he just orchestrates everything together. He's an almighty, awesome God, even as that last song says. Can I see it? Can y'all throw me up a shaka and just say, yeah. amen. Cool. And, and, and believe it or not, um, in spite of my uh, lack of musical ability, which you'll find out here in a few moments, my wife's going, oh, no, he's going to sing. Uh, but I'm going I'm to recruit help here, all right? And uh, so in, in, spite of, in spite of that, um, God sometimes gives me songs also. And as I was driving here today, God was reminding me of a song that, that we probably taught you, Jared, when you were a little grom over at Southside, right? And, uh, and, and so, so I'm going to leave you back here to kind of, you know, do all the motions and lead everybody here. But uh, I've got some people I've orchestrated to come help me. And since Tom and Ashley sing in our band, I, I want them to come up and help. Gary, do you want to sing? Are you... Are, yeah, come on up, Gary. Here you go. We'll, we'll, we'll have Gary up there. And, and Matthew took off running, so he's not. If you want to come up and sing, bro, you can come on up and sing. You okay? All right. So I, I've got these three right here. Um, man, I got the Sturgill Girls coming up, right? Got, this is a kid's song, so you got to put kids' flavor into it. So come on up, Sturgill Girls. All right. So we've got that. Um, when I first met Seth, man, Seth said over and over and over again, dude, I am not good with kids. I am so not good with kids, but as God has put them under our, you know, mentorship or in our family and has exposed him to different opportunities, Seth is becoming awesome with kids. And his wife, Charlotte, in fact, they're going to like have the kids today and, uh, you know, but uh, you, you just—it's been awesome to watch your rapport with kids develop, and so I'm going to kind of help you do this. And since Destiny, you're just good. Come on up, anyways. All right, Aww. come on up here, and then uh, that kind of balances it all out. All right, so that about eliminates the congregation. No, I'm just saying. But uh, so, so here, here's the song that we're going to do. Come on up over here. Come on, up, get a little bit closer here. I, I'm going to lead you through this, and this goes with the message. It actually goes with every song that we sang today. All right. So the first part, all right, so it starts off with, who is the king of the jungle? Who, who, all right? So there's some hand motions. Everybody put your hand up, and we've got a crown here. You're making a crown. Who is the king of the jungle? Now give me a little monkey thing, go, who, who. All right, good. You guys ready? Lead them in there. Who is the king of the jungle? Who, who. Yeah, you got it. All right, the next part is, who is the king of the sea? Waddle, waddle, waddle. All right? You got that part? Okay, so let's try the first part again. Who is the king of the jungle? Who is the king of the sea? Waddle, waddle, waddle. All right. Now, who is the king of the universe? Who's the king of me? All right, so we got that? All right, so are you guys ready? All right, you're backing me up, man. Like... Bob Marley and the Whalers, Gladys Knight and the Pips, <laughs> Casey and the Sunshine Band. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going way back. But, all right, so here we go. We got, 
Who is the king of the jungle? Who, who, who is the king of the sea? Wada, wada, wada. Who is the king of the universe? Who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S, yes! All right, you got that part? All right, so let's go. It, there's more. I'm just taking you one step at a time. Who is king of the jungle? Who, who, who is king of the sea? Water, water, water. Who is king of the universe? Who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S, yes! He is king of me. He is king of the universe. The jungle and the sea, waddle, 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 hoo, hoo. All right, you got it? All right. So people are people have already turned us off of Facebook. They've got the wrong channel, they think. No, this is the adult message. All right, we're getting to it. All right, so we ready for the whole song one more time? Y'all want to stand up and do it? I know you want to stand up. Here we go, man. All right. This is it until the end of the service, all right? So you ready? I'm, man, you're going to do this for somebody today. I dare you to walk into Cumberland Farms and to sing this song, all right? All right, so you ready? Who is king of the jungle? Who, who, who is king of the sea? Water, water, water. Who is king of the universe? Who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S, yes, he is king of me. He is king of the universe, the jungle and the sea, waddle, 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 hoo, hoo, yeah! All right, All right so Seth, and, hey, you guys go, go down with Seth and Sharla, and uh, good luck after that. <laughs> All right. Verse two. All right, so we've got that. <laughs> All right, so how that all came about, man, is uh, it, it just, uh, we're, in, we're in Hebrews 12, getting ready to kind of finish it up. Next week we'll be finish up Hebrews 12, but we've got another little passage. And as I was studying Hebrews chapter 12, this particular section, uh, at the beginning of the week, God was uh, putting on my heart the term real estate. All right. Uh, real estate's big here. OK, uh, we do have people who do real estate here. I see some of them missing some of them here, some. But real estate is huge in this area. How many of you have had something to do with real estate in the last five years? Everyone. Yeah. Real estate is there. So I wanted to know how the term real estate came about. And, and did you know, like everything else, there's arguments over that? <laughs> did people not find a reason to fight over anything? So here it is. Real estate. Okay, and uh, so, so the word real, it comes from a Latin term, and, and they argue about the very first part. Uh, it's, it's the Latin word res, which, um, uh, which means I have an interest, okay, in this, or they're thinking maybe it comes from the Latin term rex, which means the king has an interest in this. And estate just means tangible property, as opposed to your personality or something intangible. So here's the two arguments about the term real estate. One, they're saying, no, what it means, res, is that I personally have an interest in this tangible property. But the older term is, no, the king has an interest in this tangible property. Does that sound like a common argument? The king has an interest in this, or I have an interest. That's Christianity right there. You know, the king has an interest. It, it, back in the day, government or the king or nobody, I mean, you know, that's how kind of things started even in America. We had a loose central government, and, and nobody really owned property, okay? 
There was the government that made it possible for you to be able to do stuff, and I'm not getting into politics today at all, but if you ever want to read some interesting stuff, look, read how the cattle industry got started. Did you know it got started in Florida, actually? And I won't go into how it all got started, but basically when they would, uh, the crackers who had whips that were basically their tool to pop cows out of the swamp, and again, the first crackers were runaway slaves, runaway Indians, and poor white people, so it has absolutely nothing to do with racism. Anybody who tells you it does is wrong, okay? But every time, you know, whips were cheaper. They made them out of deer skin, and they were cheaper to make and use than bullets. And so they could pop a cow out of the swamp. They could knock the head off a rattlesnake at 20 yards, whatever they, or 20 feet, whatever they needed to do. And so whenever people came down, they'd say, oh, y'all with them crackers, because that's all you heard was cracking of the whips. That's how they used them for a tool. And they would drive cattle, they would get a few cows here out of the swamp, another guy get a few cows, another guy get a few cows, and they would, they would bring them down, you know, and, and ship them out to where people were feeding their military. But after a while, people started getting big herds of cows. And in the center of the state, man, uh, the Indians actually taught them, don't pin your cows. Don't herd them and, and don't put them in pens because they're going to die that way. They need to be free range. They need to be able to just go. Well, how do we know they're ours? You brand them. And then everybody left everybody's brand alone. And there would be cows just roaming all over the middle of Florida. And then you'd take your little cracker horses and you'd take your whip and you'd get all your cows cut out. And those would be your herd when it was time to do something with it. Well, all of a sudden, one day, somebody decided that, man, I'm going to fence all of this off and it's going to become my property. Well, now we don't think that's unheard of. We think, dude, that's how you do things. But, man, even out west, same thing. People would let their cows roam and have them branded. And one day somebody said, nope, I'm claiming this property. This is mine. And they went to the government. The government said, okay, well, you can have that. We'll deed it. And there's big fights, people cutting people's fences, people having feuds, because somebody said, I own this property now. And you say, well, that's just the way it is. Uh, I own my condo. My neighbor owns his condo. I own my lot. My neighbor, neighbor owns mine. What about the ocean? This is the latest fight in Florida right here. And I got a point to all this, okay, so hang on with me. Now, who gets to swim out in that ocean? Who owns that ocean right out there? Well, God does, and we get to all enjoy it. And right now, there's no boundaries, no property rights out there. What we, we just had a big fight at the beginning of the year of, well, do you own the high tide line or the low tide line? You know? And do condos get to you know, say, this is ours and nobody can go here and so on? And that's happened all over our state. Because what happens is when people start disagreeing and people can't live in one accord and live in unity, they have to now start establishing boundaries and rules. Whereas if all of us would follow God and we did things God's way and saw from his perspective, we could get along and it would all work. So guess what's happening up in the panhandle of Florida right now? There's fishing grounds up there in the Big Bend that fishermen have been commercial fishing for years. But because our oyster industry has been dying, because of all the pollution coming out of Alabama and, and Atlanta and you know, all of that up there, through the Apalachicola, all that pollution has killed the oysters. And so, so now people have taken to oyster farming. Well, where do you farm oysters at? In the water. So how do, you, how do you get a farm? Well, you go to the government, and the government's got these programs now where Tallahassee says, I'll tell you what, I will lease you this square of ocean. I will lease you this square of the Gulf of Mexico. And so now some oyster farmer, which I like oysters, and I'm all for that, but here's, th this makes it kind of real. Now, oyster farmers own this piece of water and this piece of water and this piece of water. And so the guys who have been commercial fishing with nets and different things their whole life now can't go in those. 
And there's discrepancies in what, and, and so wait, it could happen out here. You know, Tom, if you had an opportunity to buy you a little square area of ocean out there and you could afford it, I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Then nobody can surf that break except for me and my friends, right? That's it. That's it. But the people who aren't my friends and the people who can't go there, they don't like it. And that's what keeps happening with the discrepancies between if we would just have a king, if we would have the king who had a good heart, a perfect heart that made no mistakes, that loved his people more than anything and could make the right decision. If we could let him rule everything, we wouldn't need all these boundaries and we wouldn't have all these fights. Do you agree in all of this? And so it was interesting how I was studying that term real estate. It's they're arguing over whether the king owns uh, everything or whether we own little bits of everything. And I just so saw that in scripture. And what did Jesus tell everybody in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the one sermon he probably preached everywhere he went? He said, but you seek first, what? The kingdom of God. And his righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. Just listen to the king. Seek to serve the king and everything you need will be added unto you. And that's true for us today. But instead of seeking first the kingdom, we seek second the kingdom. Because first, when we're in the flesh, what do we seek? What do we seek first most of the time when we're not in the spirit? Ourselves. And then God, and then we'll say, okay, God, now you make this work out, all right, instead of first seeking what he wants and then going into it. And so, again, it all comes down to real, to real real estate, and that's what we're talking about today, the real real estate market. You know, there's only two real estate, there's only two places, that there's only two kingdoms, there's only two places where you can live, there, and not only here, but in eternity, there's one, and we're going to look at it today, which is Mount Sinai, which is where the Jews got the law and everything the law represents. Or we can live in Mount Zion, which is heaven and which is under grace as opposed to the law. And so one is where the king is telling you, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And you'll never be able to please me. You'll never be able to do this. All it's going to do is show you you're guilty and you can choose to live there. And does anybody get to heaven by obeying the law? Has the law ever saved anyone? Can the law save anyone? No. And so even at Mount Sinai, they were told one day there's going to be a way provided. If you believe it is by doing what you're supposed to do as best you can now, but by faith you believe, then you will be part of this other piece of real estate, which is Mount Zion. But can you imagine if there's people here on this planet now where you can live in Mount Zion, but you want to go back to something that you're going to be guaranteed to fail at? Can you imagine people wanting to go back to that? But in our human nature, we have this performance-oriented theology. How many of y'all feel that you have a better relationship with God on, on, on some days than you do other days? How many of y'all feel on some days, man, God doesn't want to hear from me. I'm so messed up. In other days, boy, he's lucky to hear from me. <laughs> you know, I, I'm Billy Biblehead in Sally Sunday School. I'm right here. Man, do you know that his love for you is perfect? It's perfect. If it's perfect, can he ever love you more? No. Can he ever love you less? And last week we talked about positional righteousness as opposed to practical righteousness. We talked that your position in Christ is guaranteed. You are perfect. He looks down on you and he sees the blood of his son and you are perfect and you are going to heaven. And when you go to heaven, you will be perfect because you lose the flesh. 
But right now, we have this positional righteousness where we don't lose our salvation by sin. But what happens is we lose our fellowship with him. We lose what he wants us to have. Man, who was I talking with? Somebody, man, we were talking. Oh, we were paddleboarding with uh, Addie. Oh, Seth and them are gone. Little boy went to, went to Haiti with us. And, and we were at little gym parking lot. And one of the little girls took off running in the parking lot. What did the mom say? What did the mom say? Is that how you say it? Stop. No, what you, what's the mom say? Say it like a mom, both you two. Say it like a mom. They took off running in the parking lot. One, two, three. Stop. Stop. Right? And you tell them stop. And you tell them stop. And you tell them stop. And, and, and maybe they stop. But what if one day they didn't stop? And all of a sudden they got smashed by a car. They got broken legs. They're, they're still there. And they're breathing, they're holding on. I mean, God forbid that ever happened. I'm covering that with the blood. But would you look down as a mom penny and say, I told you to stop. That's what you get for disobeying me. Is that what you do to Jeffrey? Jeffrey, is that what your mom would do to you? Yeah. <laughs> Two different perspectives in this. But no mom would ever do that. You'd be like, oh, I wanted you to stop because I didn't want you to have to go through this. And that's our practical righteousness. God doesn't want us to experience the consequences of sin and from the fall. That's why we seek first the kingdom of righteousness. So, yes, pra- positionally speaking, we are perfect, but practically speaking, who here is perfect? Nobody. And I said last week, if you raise your hand right now, you'd be a liar and you'd mess up your perfection. So, man, there's two. The real, we're going to look at the real real estate market, and there's only two neighborhoods you can buy in. There's only two neighborhoods. That makes it really simple. You guys just bought a house. Did you shop around and look? How many of y'all could say the real estate market today is crazy? It'll drive you nuts, man, trying to figure out where to go and what to do. Well, I'm going to simplify it. There's only two markets, all right, when it comes down to eternity. This is the old neighborhood, okay? We're going to look at the old neighborhood. This is going to be a description of Exodus 19 and 20. When God was giving Moses the law, Moses and Joshua went up Mount Sinai. They went up there and there were terrible laws. They said, man, there was thunderings and and earthquakes and rumbling and lightning and clouds. It It was impressive. It was scary. Moses was even scared to go up there. But God said, come. And they put a boundary. And they said, even if an animal crosses that boundary, shoot an arrow and kill him. Because God's holy, God's righteous, and this is what God's law says. And there's penalties for violating God's law. So the first part, this old neighborhood's harsh, guys. It's harsh. It's not the grace we've been hearing. It's not the mamby-pamby Christianity we've been hearing. But if you want to be judged one day according to your own works, you one day want to stand before him and say, yeah, now judge me according to what I've done. This is your judgment. It's Sinai, and you cannot succeed. It's a scary place, and that's what it was supposed to be. It's a God that is perfect, and having imperfect people that could never, ever approach him. And God set it all up so that we would one day look and jump on the opportunity to be able to approach him at Mount Zion. So this is the old neighborhood, and I'm telling you, it's harsh. It's harsh in this. Hebrews 12, 18 through 21 For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, to blackness and darkness and tempest. How many of y'all want to live in that neighborhood? 
hey, your real estate guy, Tom, hey, I want some rental property for the, you know, uh, I want some rental property for, for the season. Oh, dude, I got a mountain, dude, that, oh, don't touch it, man. <laughs> it's burning with fire. It's got blackness, darkness, and tempest. It's like, okay, I'm going to find a new agent, right? <clears throat> but in this, look at what he says. This mountain, when he took it up, it, that it may, uh, that it may, you're, you're not coming to a mountain that may be touched. Now, that wasn't God giving permission. It was just saying it was possible. What happened if anyone other than somebody who was invited touched that mountain? What happened to them? They died. Dude, they died. Like aluminum foil in a microwave, dude. You're gone. I don't even know where that illustration came, but you're going to try it. How many of y'all are going to try it today? No. Seriously. It wasn't. Thank God we don't live on a mountain, a physical mountain we could touch that God said not to touch. He's taken that away. That mountain was there. There were guards around it. There was boundaries around it. There were people waiting to shoot anybody who was going to violate it because they didn't want the wrath of God to come down on all the people. Man, that doesn't sound like our New Testament God. It's the same one, but I, he gives us this description so we'll appreciate what we have in this new covenant. You've not come to the mountain that may be touched, that you could possibly touch and die. That it's burning with fire, it's blackness, darkness, tempest. You know, location, 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 right? 19, and the sound of a trumpet. Dude, when the angels were on that trumpet making sure nobody got up there, these were not angels you were partying with. These were not angels that were ministering spirits that like the angels we're gonna talk about later. These were angels blowing trumpets of judgment the way they will during the tribulation period. The way they will in Revelation. They're blowing judgment. The trumpets were getting louder and louder and scarier and scarier. He said the sound of trumpets, the voice of words so that those who heard it, people heard God's word. You go back and read Exodus 19 and 20 and this is just a, sim a summary of it. They heard God's words and the, the people. What did the people say, John? No, I can't handle hearing God. God is not approachable. I cannot handle, handle his glory. I cannot handle what he's saying. And please don't make us listen to God. Please don't make us have to hear him. Instead, Moses, you go and Joshua, you go and you come back and tell us what God said. That's exactly what that Mount Sinai was about. Aren't you glad you don't live in that neighborhood, guys? Yeah. Man. And if you are not trusting Christ for your salvation, you're trusting your own work, you live in this neighborhood. One day you're going to face this awesome, it's not going to be some judge like Judy Wapner where you're going to go, well, all you do, you're going to present your little case, man. You're going to present your case and go, oh, I was wrong, I'm sorry. No, this is the judge. And you better be sure you're on the right side of it. Man, those who heard it begged that they should not be spoken to them anymore. I don't want to hear this. For they could not endure what was commanded. In other words, when you take the full counsel of God's law, can anybody be perfect in it? Can you even be perfect in a little part of it? How many of y'all never lied? Never. How many of y'all never stole nothing? I don't see many hands going up, dude. I got, a, I got an unholy church here, man. We need to do some coffee. No. Dude, you can't keep the law. We're guilty of parts of it. It's our nature. That's why we need to be born again and we have a new nature. Man, they couldn't endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast even touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Dude, 
That's not the neighborhood to live in. That's the old neighborhood. That is the neighborhood that anyone without Christ will live in eternally. It is in context talking about Sinai when they got the law. But anybody who chooses to reject what Christ did on the cross is saying, I don't need what Christ did on the cross to pay for my sins. I will be fully accountable. I will represent myself. I want to be judged by my works. And in fact, in the great white throne judgment at the end of the book of Revelation, there is something. Go read it this afternoon. It'll probably be highlighted in your Bible as the great white throne judgment. And it talks about how, how when everybody stood before the king, before Christ, and before this throne, it says the great and the mighty, the people who thought they could stand and represent themselves because they have to every other human, now they found they were against a superhuman judge. And it says they ran and they fled and there was no place left for them to hide. And they, the books were opened, books, plural, and the books were everything that was that you have done in your life. You know, everything that you have done, every thought, every action, every word is recorded in the books. How many of y'all would love to sit around and read your books right now? <laughs> Anybody want to read your books this afternoon? Man, that's the hall of shame, folks, because, I mean, it's there. It'd be nice to learn from our mistakes, but I think it would be so discouraging, so depressing. And anybody thinking they want to take those books and present them to God and say, now let me into heaven. And you're a God, an ultimate clean freak that needs perfection. This is the ultimate dirt ball right here. That's me. Y'all just say that. I'm a dirt ball. <laughs> yeah, we were until Christ. Man, the books are open. And then he says a book was open, singular, which is the book of life. <laughs> And when you give your life to Christ, your name is in the book of life. And he says, come on in. But what the great white throne judgment says is anyone whose names were not found in the book of life were cast into the eternal lake of fire. Not a single soul ever in past, present, or future will ever get into heaven, will ever find salvation by being judged according to their works. And that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us this. So if anybody here is counting on your works to save you, you see what foolishness and futility is. You see it's not going to work. That's why he did this as our schoolmaster. So when we even had an inkling that there was a savior, we would come running and saying, I need to be saved. Has anybody done that? Realized you're a sinner and came running and said, I need to be saved when he gave me grace. Anybody done that? Yeah. yeah. Dude, anybody appreciate that? Yeah, <laughs> every day. And I don't want to live in that neighborhood, but even as a born-again believer that is living out of Zion, how many of y'all are believers living out of Zion? We're going to talk about that. We're, we don't experience it fully, but you're there. How many of y'all tend to go back to the mountain? How many of y'all tend to go back to that performance-oriented theology and you let the devil beat you down? You don't live in your new identity. You live in that old one. Instead of when God convicts you, changing, repenting, and coming back to him, you let him just drag you down further in there. That's not what it's for. We have a new identity. And we're going to learn about our identity a bit in this Mount, in Mount Zion. So he says, man, this, this is a bad neighborhood. You do not want to buy in this neighborhood. But let me ask you a question. When you come into this world, 
sweet little Keone, sweet little Gabriel, when they come into this world, they don't know any difference. But once they start knowing the difference between good and evil, they start understanding consequences. Once they can be held accountable, what neighborhood are they in? That one. You ever want a reason? Again, this is no guilt trip, and you can't do anything to make your kids do anything. But boy, wouldn't it be awesome to be a good example? Wouldn't it be awesome to pray for them? You don't want them to live and die in this neighborhood, but they have to be born again into a new neighborhood. And again, I know parents who have done everything right, who have done it all, but kids have to make the decisions. How, how, how many of y'all disappointed your parents? A godly mama, a godly daddy, yeah. And they were like, oh, Jesus, please let them be saved for You know, eight years after my mom died is when I gave my life to Christ, man. <laughs> and uh, she, told her, she, told, she told God if he gave her another son, he was going to be a priest. And then my sister told me I blew it because I'm Protestant. But I think she's pretty stoked in heaven right now. I can't wait. Say, Mom, I did it because of Jesus. <laughs> so look, man, he says, man, you don't want to be in that neighborhood. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses, Moses is the dude that spoke with God. I mean, that was his job. He met with God on a regular basis. And even Moses at that point said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You ever want to take God lightly and not understand who he really is? Moses knew God. He's almighty. You're in no position to bargain with God. You're his servant and he's your master. What he says goes. And that's even under this age of grace. We, it's just that we love him and we trust him. And we'd much rather do what he wants us to do than what we want to do. Amen? Amen. Except when we're trying to live over here in Sinai, which is going to do nothing but get us in trouble. So stay out of that neighborhood, guys. Stay out of there. The new neighborhood where you live forever with God. How many of y'all are still with me? Y'all still with me? That, that, was the, that was the tough part. I told you it's going to get rough. But I didn't lie. That's all the truth. And we got to understand how bad that is to understand how good this is. The new neighborhood where you live forever ever with God. Hey, when you gave your life to Christ, what's the E word for life you got? What kind of life did you get? Eternal, that lasts forever. When did it start? The minute you gave your life to Christ, it started. But you're like, oh, you mean this is the best I can experience in heaven? No, we have flesh in the way. We have flesh that's in the way. And so... One day when we die and we go to heaven, the flesh is out of the way and we will only desire what God wants and we will be perfect and we will never, ever be able to get in trouble again. How many of y'all know that's my favorite part of heaven? <laughs> I will never get in trouble again. <laughs> it's impossible because I only desire what he desires. So we can start experiencing this now as we surrender to the flesh, as we crucify the flesh and we live in the spirit. Paul said it's a battle we've got till we die. It's a battle that goes on. I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. But nevertheless, we are residents in the new neighborhood where we're going to live with God forever. So check this out. Here's who we're going to be living with. Check this out in here. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Did JJ not put that? Did you put the titles up on that? Uh, first thing I want you to see is that you're going to be living with God. You're going to be living with God. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living what? 
God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You remember before as we've been preaching through Hebrews that these guys in the Old Testament, they just did what God told them to do and they never saw the reward. The reward they were looking for at the end was that they were going to be in an eternal city that God made. The reward wasn't going to be some tangible thing on this planet. There's going to be some, but they were living for what was later, for Mount Zion. And so he says, man, but you've come to Mount Zion. You're not in Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city that Abraham and all of them have been looking for. The only reason Joseph kept doing what he was doing, the only reason Moses kept doing it, and the only reason Abraham kept doing it, and Isaac and Jacob, was they were looking forward to this city. And this is the city we're going to be living in. The city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Man. Now, you want to know a little bit of what that's going to be like for eternity? Read the last two chapters of the Bible. How many of y'all read the last two chapters, read the last two chapters of the Bible? Man, if you ever lose perspective, I dare you, man, if you ever lose perspective, sit down and read the last two chapters. It will change your perspective and show you what we will have for eternity. It shows you why you can keep going now. Why even if you have the most miserable life now, which you don't, it will be so much better. One of my favorite verses in Romans 8 is, but the sufferings of this life. How many of y'all had sufferings in this life? Anybody? The sufferings of this life are nothing. Take the worst sufferings you have on this planet. He said they are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us later. Talking about this new heaven, this new living city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not the city of Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the real estate I want to be a part of. That's where I live. I told the kids in Haiti, uh, we had to do a couple little quick things. And you tell them where you're from. I said, hey, I'm from Florida. And I said, but that's not my home. And they're like, what? And I said, in fact, I've never been to my home. And so I asked them, I said, I live in Florida, but I don't, that's not my home and I've never been my home. Where's my home? And you should have heard all the different answers. Where's my home? I'm kind of, come on, man, where's my home? They're like, New Jersey? No, 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 you know, <laughs> New York, no. Well, where, Haiti? I mean, no, if I've never been there, I live here, but I've never been to my home. Where's my home? Heaven. And finally one kid was like, heaven, yeah. Shama, yeah, he, he said it. And I said, yes, that's my home. And that's us. We have full citizenship here. Full citizenship in heaven. But he's got us here now. And what, by the way, what, are, what is our job while we're here? Why didn't he just take us to heaven the moment that we got born again? He gave us a job that uh, a lot of countries have these people. They're called ambassadors. Did you know... You are an ambassador. Once you got born again and left you here, you are now an ambassador for heaven. So how are you doing representing heaven to people? Or are we like, oh, man, you know, another, dude, I want a better chair than this, you know. Oh, my cup is empty. Oh, you know, that's water. I want a coffee. You know, how good are you at representing? Or are you like, dude, I got a new phone. <laughs> you know, I, I get, you know what I'm saying? You're an ambassador for heaven. That's the only reason you're here after you get born again. Everything, Santa, if you pull out of this parking lot, God forbid, man, you get a fender bender. Uh, I'm coming down with the blood of Jesus. No, I'm just saying, if that happens, it's an opportunity to be an ambassador for heaven. A tarantula comes into your room while we're in Haiti. You get an opportunity to be an ambassador. 
And I think you guys were, you were like, oh, Jesus! <laughs> Seriously, that's everything we do. That is our primary and only singular purpose on this planet is to be an ambassador for him. But the only way we can do that is if we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything we need to be that ambassador will come to us. So that's, man, the first thing that comes with this real estate when you buy in this neighborhood. And by the way, we're going to talk about this in a minute. Who bought your house in that neighborhood? Did you buy it through righteousness? Jesus bought it. And we're going to see that at the end. You're exactly right. We didn't buy this. We were, you know, what, what was that? Remember they would come to your house with uh, Reader's Digest, dude. I don't even know if they still exist. Remember that? Hey, you just won $8,000 million, you know. Yeah, Jesus bought this for us. So he says, you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Can you imagine the people who are living in Sinai? The people who are, don't touch the mountain. Don't get anywhere near God. You're going to get stoned or an arrow shot through your heart. And now all of a sudden he's like, you're going to be living with God. No, not me, buddy. But here, because God's wrath is satisfied, now we're on the other side of the relationship with God. God is the judge. God who is all righteous. Because of what Christ did, we're righteous now. And we're residents, and we live there with him in perfect peace and harmony. So contrary to what Mount Zion was. I mean, Mount Sinai. So he says, man, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, so the new neighborhood where we also live, we, we not only live with God, but check this out. We live with who? Angels. Hey, whenever anybody sees an angel now, Gary, what do they say? Ah! Yeah, exactly. Ah! And they fall over. So you're like, dude, I don't know, man. God with smoke and fire, angels where I'm scared. And then they say, oh, don't be scared. You know, after the fact, I don't know if I really want to live in this neighborhood. But you see, the thing is, is that when we get a home in this neighborhood, we are now equipped to be the perfect neighbors. We're going to be able to live with angels. Right now, they're glory. They're supernatural beings created by God to minister to us and minister for God. And, and those angels, let me ask you a question. How many angels are there? <laughs> what are some of the descriptions in Scripture? Daniel said there's myriads of myriads of myriads. In Revelation, we can't even number the number of angels of these glorious beings. And they're all there. So our new neighborhood where I live, we live forever. With, we're going to be living forever with angels. Now check this out. Are we supposed to worship angels? No. In fact, in fact John in Revelation, he saw an angel. And, and he's got down. He was so supernatural. He got down to worship. And the dude said, get up, you punk. He said, we're worshiping the same God. Worship with me. Don't worship me. So can you imagine? Hey, when we were singing that, who is the king of the jungle? Your glorious voices were awesome. Can you imagine? Check this out. Do you think that God's going to find time in eternity for us to get together and sing that song with 10,000 angels? <laughs> Would that not be awesome? Would you not be? Tom's going to be. <laughs> Would that not be awesome to be singing that or seeing any of these? Ashley, are you doubting this? Eternity is a long time. We're going to have a lot of time to do a lot of things. And if God can be worshipped through that song, wouldn't it be awesome for us to be like Gladys Knight and the angels to be the pips? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wouldn't it be awesome for, you know, us to be Casey and the angels to be the sunshine band, the backup choir? Man, the angels. We're going to be living with angels, worshipping with them. You know what I love so much about Haiti? You know what I love about worshipping Haiti, Santa? is that I could sing as loud as I wanted 
and I wasn't going to be made fun of like I will be here. <laughs> you know, I see EJ, this is the microphone, and I'm over here singing, and I see EJ every Sunday kind of like turning it off, you know. No, I'm, I don't know, he might be doing that, but seriously, in Haiti though, in Haiti, nobody necessarily there has what Americans would consider, you know, an or you know, a choir type voice. Everybody just worships. Everybody's worried, and I can just sing as off key or as loud or as bad as I want, but I can just worship because I'm not the only one being heard. Hey, I noticed back here, when you sit up front, you can sing, and a lot of people, you know, it's, it's loud up here. Sometimes I go in the back where Tom and them are, and I'm like, I don't really want to, because I could be heard singing. Is it quieter back there? But seriously, man, we're going to be with angels worshiping at the top of our lungs, praising God with these beings that we can't even experience right now. Is that not awesome? That's going to say something about our glorified bodies that we have. We're going to be able to handle the glory of God. So, man, our new neighborhood where we live uh, forever, there's going to be, we're going to be living with angels. Look what he says. To an innumerable company of angels. How, how many angels are there? Innumerable. You can't count them. That means me without my shoes and feet on. That's more than 20, right? But literally, everybody, we can't count how many angels there are to the general assembly. And that word general assembly is talking about a public gathering, a public festival of praise. So can you imagine being part of a public festival of praise with an innumerable amount of angels? Linda, can you imagine that? Man, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a festival of praise with an innumerable amount of angels? You thought a Billy Graham uh, crusade was awesome. <laughs> Man, you, you, I'm just saying, this is going to be phenomenal. And how, many, how often is this going to happen? All the time. For how long? Forever. You tell me we want to give up now? You want to go back and live in Sinai and think you can earn something there? Keep making first the kingdom of God and his right, looking for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. One day we're going to be living in this with God Almighty. We're going to be living in an assembly of praise with a numeral company of angels. Look who else we're going to be with. Our new neighbors where we live forever is going to be the entire church family. Let me read this to you real quick. It says, and, and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. How many of y'all are registered in heaven? Your names are registered in heaven. In fact, in Philippians, this is one of the few commandments we have twice. Did God say, and do not steal, and do not steal? Did he say, do not lie, and do not lie? No, no, he's told us one time, but he says in Philippians to the Apostle Paul, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, rejoice. And why are we supposed to rejoice? Because our names are in heaven. Our names are in heaven. You're registered in heaven. So when he talks about this to the church, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, how many of y'all have a registry in heaven? You're going to be there. But who else is going to be there? Everybody. How many of y'all have loved ones who are born again that are no longer with us that are going to be there? And we're going to be worshiping with them with, I might add, an innumerable company of angels in a general assembly. You know, so those people, hey, Santa, did you meet any believers in Haiti? Did you meet some believers that now you love? And you didn't know before, but all of a sudden you got off the truck and she picked you up and like started hugging you. And, and then other, another one hugged you and another one. And that was just Haiti in the middle of nowhere. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven? How many believers 
from all over this universe, from all over the time of history, the destiny. You think that you're going to meet some new believers? Some new believers in the church. We've got all these angels now. All these believers that we've never met. This Are you looking forward to the new neighborhood yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and now these new believers, guess what? They have no sin nature, so they cannot do anything wrong either. Because Terry's over here saying, yeah, there's some people that I went to church with that I'm not sure I want to meet again. No, but, no you'll love them there, bro. All their sin's gone, and they're thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> it's like, dude, no way. That's worth praising God forever. Terry's perfect. <laughs> you know, and Pastor Eddie's perfect. You know? But look at this. That's who we're going to be living in this neighborhood with. All these angels and a new, we can't even count them. And all of the church from the beginning, from 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 Jesus' resurrection on. The church. The church. Everybody of all those ages. Now look who else in this new neighborhood. We're going to live forever with the judge. Check this out. To God, the judge of all. Hey, how many of you would rather live with the judge in Sinai? Where you're going to get a, an arrow shot through your liver if you cross the line. Or you're going to live in this, in this mountain, Mount Zion, in perfect harmony with the judge. Do you not see what we have in Christ? So when Christ is asking us to do something, to surrender something, to seek first, seek only, seek always him. And we're like, oh, but, oh, but, but I, I just want to stay here. I want to experience, mm, this is what I want. And it's not about what he wants. Dude, if you really understand what you've got over there, you sell out. Ask him to help you understand. Help to ask him to help you want what he wants and just sell out. That's what it's called crucifying the flesh. Because that's we're now going to be in perfect peace. Do you mind being with the judge if you're not guilty? And you're not guilty because what Christ did on the cross has now given you perfect innocence. And your charges can never be brought up with you and you'll never be able to do anything wrong again. Your buds with the judge. And it's legal. <laughs> it's the way it is. It's never going to change. So man, we're going to be with the God. Be able to experience all of his glory. We're going to be with angels, innumerable amount, just in a worship service with the angels. Just I don't even know all that's going to, how many ways we're going to be able to worship him. We're going to be with all the believers of all times. We're going to be with the judge, the eternal judge, the one who can throw the book at us who never will because we're deemed innocent. And look at this next part. We're going to be with all the Old Testament saints. Check this out. One little line in here. To the spirits of just men who have now been made perfect through what Christ did on the cross. You go study it. That's what it's talking about. The spirits of just men. What made you just in the Old Testament? Your faith made you just. Trusting that God would one day send a Messiah. And they followed him and they trusted. It wasn't because of their perfection. They believed that they would have a Messiah one day. And now they had to wait for us. They had to wait for Jesus to be, to be crucified, buried, and risen again. To be made perfect. Hey, the sacrifices that they did, the blood they shed, you know, from the animals. Did that ever take away sins? No. no. But through faith, they did what God wanted and God was pleased with that faith. It wasn't until Christ... The Lamb of God became the one to take away the sins of the world, that they were made perfect finally. And so we're going to be chilling with Moses, with Abraham, with Elijah. Dude, I so, Tom, I so want to hear that story in Santa. We'll remember when we hear it from Elijah when they were blowing up the cows at Mount Carmel. 
Dude. And let me ask you a question. Is Moses going to be greater than us there? Is Elijah going to be greater than us? Is, is even Adam going to be greater than us? Any of the, we're all going to be equal because the only reason any of us are in heaven is why? Because of Christ. We're all equal in there. Is that not going to be all? How many of y'all got some Old Testament saints you'd like to talk with? Old Testament saints. The Old Testament that you'd love to hang with. John, do you think John could spend an eternity with a few of them? Yeah. It's a good thing you're not going to get jealous. (laughs) You know? Because, yeah, Old Testament saints, dude, we're going to be sitting with them, rubbing shoulders. We're going to be equals with them. All those great patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were right there with them. How many of y'all dig in this neighborhood so far? You know, Tom, you gonna like hanging out with those guys? You got a lot of questions that I haven't been able to answer? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be hanging out with them. A couple more real quick. But here's the last part. The new neighborhood where you live forever. Um, we're going to be living with Jesus who bought the entire neighborhood. <laughs> if Jesus bought the entire neighborhood, and by the way, what did he buy the neighborhood with? Hey, Jack, what did he buy the neighborhood with? Everything. Yeah, with his what? He, with his blood, man. He bought it with his blood. Is there any greater purchase price that he could have ever paid for a neighborhood with than with his blood? And so he bought that neighborhood. He owns the neighborhood. He's made promises to you. So, Chris, can you ever get kicked out of the neighborhood? Absolutely. Even if you violate the homeowners association contract and don't pay your bill, it's already taken care of. There's nothing you can do. You're in that neighborhood forever. We're in there as perfect people in that neighborhood because of what Christ did on the cross. Check this out. This is the last part of the verse. It says, to Jesus, the mediator. There's only one mediator, one person who can go between us and Christ. He, or between us and, and, and God. The only one mediator that can go between these two mountains. And it's Jesus, the mediator of this new covenant. Mount Zion, not Mount um, Sinai. Sinai. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Middle wedgie. Thank you for helping me pick that. All right. So Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks what? That speaks what? Better. Better things than that of Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? You remember Abel offered a sacrifice of blood? Why? We don't know, but we've got to assume because of all this, because God told him to. His brother offered farm stuff, man, said, what's the deal? God said, well, if you do what's right, it's all good. No, I'm doing what I want to do. It's my land. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. King's like, no, it's my land. And, 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 but Abel, God accepted his sacrifice. But did it take away the sins? No. God just accepted it because he did it out of faith. But it was only the blood of the lamb, the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. So check this out, man. He not only covered our sins. Jeffrey, how long are your sins covered for if you're a believer? Forever. They're covered. When God looks down positionally, he sees the blood of Christ. But he's also, he's not just covered them, he's taken them away. Now, how many of y'all have a problem adding new ones? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you know what's cool? He's already taken those away. He takes them away, and when we're in heaven, we won't be able to add any new ones. So we've got a choice, man. Uh, what, the, what, the reader, what the author here is trying to say is this. These guys... This book was written to persecuted Jews who are now believers. And they were tired of being persecuted. They were, they were losing jobs, losing houses. They were being tortured. They were being thrown in jail. Some of them were even dying. And obviously he's talking to the ones that are still alive. And the Jews who were not saved were calling them, saying, come on over here. 
It'll be easier for you on earth if you come over here. And they were starting to think, man, maybe I do want to go back over there where it's easier. And the writer's saying, no, don't go back to the blueprint when you can live in the building. Don't go live in the shadow when you can have the substance. Don't go back there because this is where the future is. And he come, this is the culmination. He says, don't go live in that mountain where there's nothing you can do is right. Come over here where it's all right. Surrender yourself to him and then seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home, you have everything you need. But look what you got in heaven. This is the neighborhood you want to be in. And so that's what he tells us to do. So where are you going to live forever? That's my question. Are you living in the old neighborhood or are you going to live in the new neighborhood? And the bottom line is it all comes down to what you do with Jesus. Every person is going to be judged. And if you decide, I want to be judged by the books. I think I got more good deeds than bad deeds. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, one bad deed outweighs all your good deeds. In the book of Isaiah, he says, just, okay, just present your righteous deeds to me. And they're like filthy rags. Your righteous deeds aren't good enough. Nothing's good enough. That's the sad story of Sinai. But the good news is, is that over here in Zion, Christ has satisfied everything that no human could satisfy. All of what God was saying, nobody could satisfy, Christ satisfied it. And Christ now said, come with me. And what I did will be applied to you. So you can either be judged by your own works or by what Christ did on the cross. And if God gives you the desire to surrender your life to him, and be judged by what he did on the cross, man, accept it. That's what grace is. Don't reject it. Because Jesus told Nicodemus, it's like the wind. He said, you don't know when it's coming, you don't know when it's leaving, but you know when it's there. So if you have a desire to accept it, do it now. Don't think it's gonna be forever there. And if you've already done it, I hope, I pray, that like for me, this has encouraged you to sell out even more, knowing what you've got in the future, man. And knowing what you've been left here to do. And, you know, if you were created a new creation to be an ambassador, what's the only thing you're going to be satisfied being? An ambassador. You try to be anything else, you're going to be miserable until he brings you home. Be an ambassador. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you know I've filled up with this this week. You know, um, Father, I have, I have tried to fill up with you and um, be able to speak on your behalf. And I know that that can't happen naturally. It's only got to happen supernaturally. Father, I've tried to present this the way that you presented it to me where it made sense. Father, my prayer is that everyone could understand this. Everyone could remember it and everyone could apply it to their lives. Father, I pray that you would teach us this week for the rest of our lives how to live in Mount Zion. We're fully full citizens, even though we just can't be there fully right now. Help us to learn how to live in Mount Zion while we're here on this earth. Father, show us and correct us of our errors any time we try to live in Mount Sinai. Every time we try to live by the law, every time we try to um, find righteousness with you based on that. Father, I pray that out of love for what you've done for us, and fear, respect of what you've 
for who you are. We would want what you want and um, represent you as ambassadors while we're here. But I pray, Father, if there's someone here that is truly trusting their works to take them to heaven when they die, I pray today you would speak to their heart and give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender themselves to Christ and trust that what he did on the cross paid for their sins. But Father, you take this the way you want to take it. And I'm so grateful for the privilege of being your representative to speak on your behalf. And um, Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for the neighborhood that you've put us in forever. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.